Hello, everybody, and welcome to the newest episode, number 30 of the Haskincast podcast. I am very grateful to have you here with me and listening to this. I hope that you enjoy this show. Very excited uh, about today's guest. I know I say that every week, but why would I have somebody on the show that I'm not excited to have on the show? That doesn't make any sense. So, of course, I'm excited. Uh, my dear friend, Michael, who I've known for a few years, absolutely amazing uh, man. When I asked him to send me the bio, he sent me, uh, I mean, he does so many things. And we're going to mainly focus on the the music, and we're going to talk about a little bit about his uh, Sedona UFO tours. But he is is the thing that he does is everything. I mean, he's an inventor, he's a, a writer, he does uh, apps, he does coding. He, I mean, just just all this stuff. So instead of putting a bio in the description, what I'm putting is just the link to his website because it, it goes over what I consider to be only a small portion of what he's done throughout his life. Um, uh, just an amazing, amazing guy, creative in every aspect that he's involved in. Uh, and, and probably if he had more time, would be involved in more things. Uh, that's the only thing I think that holds uh, people at that creative level back is is simply a matter of time. Um, everything that we do is a trade for time. Right now, you're listening to this podcast instead of anything else you could be doing with your ears. Maybe you're just sitting down and listening to it. Maybe you're cooking. Maybe you're driving, you know, whatever. Uh, so you're not trading 100% of your time. But you could be listening to a different podcast or a television show or an audiobook or music, and you're choosing to listen to this, which I thank you for, of course. Uh, but when it comes to projects, and this is something that I have to look at too, uh, with various things that I get offered from time to time, what is the, not necessarily the best use of my time, but what is the use that's going to make me the happiest? Certain things you do for your friends or because someone needs help or because you think it might help grow a relationship and maybe the individual thing you may not enjoy as much, but you look at the higher purpose of why you might want to do that. And that's one of the things I love about Michael is he's always helping people. He's always giving of himself, uh, really doesn't ask for much of anything in this world uh, except those opportunities to be able to do that for people. And uh, that's that's one of the things I love about him most. Aside from the huge respect I have for him as a musician, as a creative, as uh, as an inventor, um, and and the the many many talks that we've had uh, over the years, where we would just spend an entire day talking about uh, various things in the world and uh, our thoughts and feelings about things and how they should be and how we could make them better and that sort of thing. Um, He's one of those people that, you know, I just gel really well with, especially on the creative side. We, we solve a lot of problems together. And um, it, I, I love that he, you know, I, I think everybody deserves to live a comfortable life. And he's one of those people that doesn't even ask for that. He just, he just wants to help. He just wants the opportunity. So uh, I, I really wish more people had that attitude. I think that we could all work together a lot better. And, you know, uh, when when royalties slow down, sometimes, uh, you know, in between projects while I'm working on the next big thing to come up and maybe I don't have any films on the on the plate because I haven't really solicited out for that or, or the people that I work with, they're in between projects or whatever. Um, there are times when I have to go back out into the world and work contract jobs or, or whatever. And, yeah, I absolutely hate doing it because it takes me away from that creative stuff that I love to do. But what's interesting about it is you you get so isolated when you're an independent business owner and you're not interacting with a lot of people, you kind of forget what the world is like. 
And I get a small taste of it out of my walks, but really my walks are ta- tailored to people that are on vacation. They're out to have a, a fun evening or they're drunk or they're, you know, rushing to dinner, rushing to a show or whatever. So it's not an accurate representation of how people really are these days. That's just how those evenings are spent. And uh, because my interactions with people are very minimal, I sometimes forget uh, what it's like to to be in there. So when I go out and do these jobs out in the the world to uh, you know to try and keep the lights on, uh, it's really it, it's difficult for me because of the way people act toward each other. I I find it very difficult that people become so territorial and their egos are more important than everybody working together to solve a problem or to uh, make things run more smoothly or efficiently or more cost effective. Um, It just seems that the world is more a battle of I'm right and you're wrong and I'm going to push my way on you and, and power play so that you have to do things the way I want so I can feel better about myself as an individual instead of saying I'm a representative for this company and my job is to help be a cog that makes the company run more smoothly, more efficiently. Uh, it has, has a, creates a longevity of employment for not only myself, but for all the people that are here. Um, and, and I just, you know, that's the hard part about me going out and doing these things is that that's not what I see. What I see is power plays and ego-driven struggles and people who just, if, if you don't like somebody, you just make it difficult for them. And this is exactly the opposite of what I have tried to create in the world is I want people to be working in harmony with each other. You can have a disagreement. You can have a difference of opinion, but it's not about you getting your way. It's about really being honest and dropping your ego and determining what is the best thing for whatever it is that you're trying to do, whether it is starting your own company, whether it's working for somebody else's company, whether it's uh, creating a product, uh, what's the best thing for the people that are going to purchase the product. It's not about how you want to create it. It's really more about how the people are going to use it, right? So if you create something that you're just like, I want this and I want that, uh, that's great if that's a functional thing for your end user. But if your end user isn't going to be enjoying those features, then it does absolutely no good. Like I had, um, at one time I had created an app for iPhone for, and it was a uh, relaxation app. It was the mental sauna relaxation app. And, uh, I had put in a feature where you could take uh, a a rain sound or, uh, like a, a babbling brook or a stream. I think it was a stream. Um, and you, you had a slider where you could decide how much volume you wanted to add in, if any, of either one of those components. Because when I listen to relaxation music or new age music, I hear people putting the ocean in there a lot. And the ocean has like a hard crescendo when, when the wave cracks. So uh, when I'm trying to relax and then the wave cracks, that really kind of takes me out of it. So I didn't want to put anything in there that was harsh, which is one of my rules in mental sauna. Uh, nothing striking. You know, it has to be smoother or, or roll off that attack a little bit. So uh, so I decided that I'm going to use sounds that don't have that. But also, a lot of times people put like way too much volume or way too little volume for my own personal taste, and everybody's taste is different. So I wanted to have something that had a little more functional control. So that was something I was thinking about the end user. But also, as if I were to use this myself, it would be something that I would use and, and I did use uh, when I would listen to the app. And... Uh, so that was more geared towards them. But I just see so much of this. I think this and I think that instead of really focusing on on what the the it was going to make things better for the majority of the people. And I'm hoping that we're going to get back to that. I'm hoping that we're going to get out of this stupid me and ego uh, driven 
world that we live in right now. Um, I was joking with somebody the other day, uh, you know, I see when, when I'm walking, of course, I see so many people with their head down on their phone, not even paying attention to who they're walking into, who's walking around them. Um, if if they're uh, crossing a street, whether the, the light's even uh, available for them to cross, uh, or if somebody is, uh, you know, they're intersecting a, a, a crosswalk, uh, not caring whether somebody's coming the other way, just just so self-involved. So, you know, when we start seeing these people as ghosts, are we just going to see people with their heads down looking at a, a you know, a haunted invisible phone or, you know, uh, really just you know, be aware of your surroundings, be aware of how the things that you do affect other people. And let's just try and, and you know, keep a, a perspective of what's really important and let's uplift each other. You don't really have to compete with anybody. Just be good at what you do. Um, inspire, support each other. And I think we would all get where we want to be if we did more of that instead of looking at each other as competition. Um, but that's that's a whole other thing. I wanted, I was going to tell you about why I almost didn't do the podcast. Um, I had a conversation with a, a very good friend of mine. Uh, actually, she's a really, really good friend, and I've only recently met her. Uh, but I, I was talking about the fact that, uh, you know, I, I'm not a big believer in blaming your childhood or your past for your current or future circumstances. Because I think that you have the ability to master those, to overcome those, to um, release or forgive and, uh, and, and choose new directions at any point in your life. And once you become aware of what's holding you back, it's kind of your responsibility to make sure that that's not holding you back. If you haven't figured out what's holding you back, then that's the mission. And, and until you identify it, it's kind of hard to take responsibility for it, right? I think that's fair. So when I was very, very young, I, I, I had this conversation with my mom recently, and I don't remember the exact age, but I'm going to say like between three and four. Uh, we were at a mall. It was my mom and my dad and my brother and I, and uh, my dad went into a store and we were waiting for him to come out. And I thought I saw him and he headed off in a different direction. So uh, me being the concerned miniature child that I was, I took off after him. And I was chasing this man through the mall yelling, daddy, daddy. And he wasn't turning around because why would he? You know, I, I don't know if he had a child or not. Never met him. Uh, but he obviously did not connect. If he even heard me, he did not connect my voice to him being summoned because, again, why would he? Um, and uh, again, you know, at some point my, my parents found me. And, uh, but I, what was frustrating to me, and I didn't realize the defining moment at that time, was that I felt like I was screaming to somebody I loved and they couldn't hear me. And I would go on over the years to having nightmares about that where I was on a playground and I would see somebody coming towards me who I uh, uh, sensed was a bad person. And I would be on like, let's say the slide or, or the, the teeter-totter or whatever. And uh, I couldn't move and I'm screaming for somebody to notice and the person is getting closer and then I would wake up. And so over the years, you know, I've put a lot of products out there and some of them have done well, some of them hadn't, but I've always felt like I don't have a voice. And it wasn't until a couple of years ago where I realized that all of this or or most of this stemmed from that five minutes or so out of my life when I was three or four years old chasing some random stranger through the mall who I thought was my dad. Um, it, I don't use that as an excuse for why I have or haven't done certain things. But now that I realize that that was the, maybe the inspiration for some of my choices, uh, that's when I decided that, yeah, I do want to do the podcast because I thought for a long time, I, you know, no one's going to care. I, I, I'm just going to talk and no one's going to listen. And I don't have a voice in this world. 
And I realized that I absolutely do. And it was that on top of probably several other events where maybe I had ideas that weren't listened to or, you know, uh, you, you know, as a child, you can't shout above the adults kind of thing. And I, and I was pushed to the side, uh, you know, those, those pile up on top of each other. And so that's why I almost didn't do the podcast. Now, bring me to present day where I'm like, you know what, I'm going to do it anyway. If people want to listen, great. That would be awesome. And hopefully people want to be on the show, which has obviously uh, been great. And I look at the the numbers, you know, how many people are listening, how many people are streaming, how many people are downloading the episodes. And, and you know, people are actually listening to the show. They're listening to what my guests have to say. And maybe they're more interested in the guests than me or me than the guests. I don't know, because that kind of data you don't get. You just get, here's how many downloads you had on this day of this episode. Uh, here's the top episodes. Here's the top 10 of the last week, the last month, the last six months. Um, you know, I haven't been doing it six months yet. But uh, so you get a certain amount of data, but not the entire picture. But at the end of the day, you know, here's something that I found was holding me back from doing something I had an interest in doing. And, you know, if, if, you, if you follow that, if you follow that, that desire, you could turn that into something. So my, I guess, lesson for today is if you have something that you want to do, do it. Don't find reasons to not do it. Don't find reasons to hold yourself back. If it's not something you can do right away, like, you know, I had to pay for the hosting of the podcast. I have to pay for those episodes to be held on storage somewhere and then distributed to iTunes and and Spotify and all that. And I chose Podbean uh, on the recommendation of several friends. And uh, so I had to pay for that up front. So if you're not in a position to be able to do that, that's okay. There's a couple things you can do. You can do five free episodes, or, or I think it's up to five hours of, of hosting time for free. And you can start with that as you're working towards paying for it. Or you can start uh, reaching out to people and start recording episodes. Or you can uh, you know, work on a plan to get that money to be able to do the hosting every year and then work on a continual plan to raise the money for next year. But you can do something to move that dream forward. And that's uh, that's my suggestion. You know, don't wait until you're at the end of your life and you're, you know, in a nursing home and you've got, uh, you know, an IV feeding you and looking back on that and wishing, God, what if I just would have, you know what, do it, just do it. If things don't go well, you have the choice of stopping or making modifications. You know, if I want to uh, try and reach a, a wider audience, I can do advertisements or I can do different posts or I can find new media outlets or, you know, have different guests on maybe that will bring a different audience. There's all kinds of things I can do. So my suggestion is do it, just do it, just do it. If you, if there's something that's inspiring you, don't wait. The days are faster. The, the nights are faster. Life just seems to be moving at a hectic pace these days. And it's just too easy to get exhausted and caught up and just do it. So anyway, that's my little, um, public service announcement for today, which I had no intention of even going into, uh, but that just came out. So there. Now, uh, let's talk to uh, Michael. Now, he is uh, basically at this point, he is the band uh, Terra Anomaly. He's doing the, the majority of the writing and, and all that. And, and they're, it's, they are it. It's, it's hard to find the right words. But Terra Anomaly is a great band, very good messages about what's going on in the world, about what we need to do to make it better, about the things I was saying earlier. Let's join together and elevate together instead of putting each other down, compartmentalizing and, and all that. There's also, uh, now, uh, aside from the album Wake Up, which is a fantastic album, 
Um, there's also some some parody videos and things that, that you'll see on the YouTube channel, and I've got the links in the show notes. If you want to learn about Michael, uh, like I said, the, the link to his website is in the show notes, and then every little component uh, is is on there and has a, a link to different things like his one man uh, show that he's doing, which is fantastic. And uh, if you're in Sedona and you have the opportunity to go see him perform, uh, go check him out. Definitely worth it. And he's also doing uh, nighttime UFO tours, uh, which he does with the uh, I, I don't know what the exact term for, for him is. I should have asked him, but the, the sort of like uh, uh, night vision goggles and things like that. The really high powered military grade stuff. And uh, just the the pictures and stuff I've seen are pretty amazing. I, I'm hoping to get back to Sedona and go out with him one of these nights before it gets too uh, stupid hot out there. But at least Sedona's in a higher elevation, so the nights are, I think, a little bit cooler. Um, I usually only go up for day trips when I when I've been out there. Uh, but Sedona is a beautiful place to visit. Great energy, great uh, scenery, uh, a lot of places where you can just go and have serenity, where you're enough in the woods where you don't hear any of the city life sounds, but you really don't have to go that far to get there. There's some wonderful trails to go. Uh, there's a waterfall that I haven't been to yet, and uh, just just a, a great place to get away to and uh, spend a day or two. You know, there's there's not much activity in the town. It's mostly like shops and things that you can see, and and uh, you know. But obviously, the UFO tour at night with Michael would be a great thing to do. Uh, and he's got some more information on that uh, on his website. So we talk about uh, UFOs and some of the videos he's analyzed. We talk about the the one man show. We talk about Terra Anomaly. We talk about Element One Fifteen, which is a whole other amazing creation. Um, I've had the pleasure of seeing that live more than once. And uh, it's, it's always fun to watch Al play on the drums, which uh, he'll tell us all about Al. So uh, I'm going to play a little bit of a song, uh, the, which is my favorite song on uh, Terra, Terra Anomaly's album, Wake Up. This one is called... Uh, it, and I can honestly say, I, I really, truly enjoy every song on this album. Uh, right now, this one is my favorite. If you ask me in three or four days, it could be a different one. It could still be this one. Who knows? I, I hate playing favorites because if you you either enjoy something or you don't, there's some that you might enjoy more than others. But uh, it's my, my tastes are just changing constantly by my mood, my emotion, and what just pops into my head or, or what I'm desiring to hear. But uh, right now, in this moment, that's the one. So that's uh, I'll play part of that track, and then we'll bring Michael on the show. So thank you for sticking around for the 30th, epi- 30th episode. Uh, it's funny, I can't speak when I say that. And uh, here's the song.
Okay, everybody, let's welcome Michael McPherson to the store. Michael, how are you? I'm doing great. How are you doing, Scotty? I'm fantastic. Thank you. Did I say that right? McPherson. It is yes, McPherson. Michael McPherson. Yeah, that's a very Scottish name. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. Well, I'm so glad that you got to come on the show today. You're an incredibly busy guy, so I'm glad I got to uh, grab some of your time. Thank you. Well, it's my pleasure, and it's always a pleasure speaking with you anyway. So what a lovely gesture it is for us to speak together and let people listen in. I love that. Yes, thank you. It's you know, I always enjoy my time with you, and I haven't seen you guys in a while. Uh, you know, ever since I left Arizona back in 2014, I made a trip up to see you guys before I moved to LA, and uh, I think that was the last time. Um, when was Vegas? That was I. Uh, that was when my mom got married, and that was 2012 or 13, I think. Okay, so yeah, that's that's all about the same. Yeah. Sure yeah. enough. Wow, that's Here's crazy. Here's hurry, don't they? Yes, they do. They do. But we always have a great time, and I'm looking forward to uh, talking to you about all your amazing projects. You're uh, you're currently working on. Well, you really are the the majority of the band Terra Anomaly at this point. Would that be the right thing to say? Yeah. Well, at this point, especially. Yeah. You know, it's very interesting. Uh, Jeff, just uh, Jeff Bird is my my music partner as far as the writing of the albums is concerned. And he um, has had several mini strokes and one fairly big stroke. So he's actually at a full care facility right now, um, trying to work his way back. You know, he lost his legs uh, some number of years, that uh, four or five years ago. And so he's been learning how to, to walk on these legs. And then this came, it's just set him back. So I'm, I'm, uh, I'm spending most of my time with Jeff in prayer. And, um, you know, just mental uh, focus to help him recover. So right now, yeah, you say I'm really the majority. And uh, that's probably why songs like uh, Q and Shadow Band and the ones that could be coming soon, Fake News, are, are the ones that are being released. is because I'm just writing them myself. Right. Yeah. Do you uh, do you feel that you're keeping with the same musical direction that you had when you write with him? Or have you kind of taken this in a little bit of your own direction just from the natural you're not having his input? I think one of the uh, main reasons that Jeff and I worked so well together is that he delivered music beds to me uh, that are things that I would have probably done. Oh, okay. Um, so, so I think that they were very compatible. I'm not saying I would have written them exactly the way that he did, because that would uh, kind of miss the point. Because one of the big things I liked about Jeff, like I said, was that he would submit these music beds that were odd. I just listened to them, and words started forming. First of all, so that was really good. Even though he'd say he send it over with the name of of. Uh, you know, let's say asparagus, which it wasn't, but I'm just going to use that as a word. And and so you might think, well, now I'm going to, you know, listen to the song and think of asparagus. It didn't happen. I didn't even consider the name of whatever he said. I just listened to the piece, and then something would come in, and then some syllables would start to form, and then words would start appearing, and I'd start writing them down. And uh, that's how the whole Wake Up album pretty much got done. Um, he would send the drum, bass, and guitar maybe a little keyboard, whatever in there. And I would listen to that and, 
then the, the song was held. I play a guitar track and then do a lead track and do the lead vocal and back up vocals and send it back to him. And then he would go and mix and do all that. So that, that's how that process worked. But it worked so well, I think, because the stuff that he delivered was like stuff that I would have made. Saved me a lot of time. I knew I was going to like it. I think of all the things that he's, he's probably said mm, 25 tracks to me. And I think there may be three of them that I wouldn't use for anything. Really? That's a, pre- that's a pretty good percentage, though. Yeah, I think so. And, uh, and I think you should write a song about asparagus because it's delicious and it's good for you. And people might, you know, it's a good reminder to eat it. There's one inherent problem with a song called Asparagus. It doesn't it doesn't rhyme well. Yeah, of course. <laughs> Spoken like a true songwriter yourself. Exactly, yeah. Uh well how do you because you, you spend a good deal of, of time in, in your, your previous to Terranomaly life uh writing kind of on your own. How do you like the collaboration process? Well, when it's with Jeff, I like it a lot. Um, you know, when we did uh, the Element 115 band back in the mid-2000s, um, the Element 115 album, I put together myself. There's one track on that on that album that I didn't do uh, um, that was done by us, and that was the track that was the most popular and is still probably the favorite track on the album, and Carla wrote that. Right. So, uh, you, know, you know, it's like, I don't do it because uh, I'm thinking I'm the best. I did it because I was the guy around at the time who could spend the time to do it. Uh, and so when somebody like Jeff or another person would come along, uh, don't send me any Christmas songs. Yeah. But <laughs> if, 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 if you know someone else came along and wanted to collaborate, said, hey, I got this idea, I'd say, great. So uh, sit in front of a microphone and hum it, send it to me, because from there I can record all the tracks. Right. Or send whatever tracks you have, it doesn't matter what level. That's the advantage of playing every instrument. So then, you know, the, the, I would love to collaborate with anybody who has the same focus and meaning for writing music. And Jeff and I are constitutionalists. So there you are. Well, and I think that that one thing I've always loved about your recordings, whether it was with Terranomaly or Element 115, is that you have captured what I would call the classic 80s rock sound, which is, is something that I personally, I love. But from from a vocal standpoint, from a guitar standpoint, from a, a sound quality standpoint, it really seems to me like it fit perfectly in that time frame. Is that something that you specifically go after? Or is that just what comes out? Uh, it doesn't get any better than 70s, 80s rock. I, I, I just, you know... And, and you can call me wrong, and, and I'll, be, I'll be fine with that. You know, you out there listening, you might say, oh, oh. But look, 70s, 80s rock, man. If that weren't true, then you wouldn't have it in all the video games and television commercials. That's true. But you wouldn't have it when you walk into the grocery store. You wouldn't have it. I mean, I mean it's there because people spend millions of dollars to research to find out what people are going to react to. In, in the way that they want. And they use classic rock. So, hey, I love classic rock. I've learned to play guitar by listening to KRLA, um, you know, back in, uh, um, well, the same decade that Mr. Kennedy was killed. So, you know, just, so you got, so a lot, so anyways, whatever would come on the radio, I would play on my guitar. And I learned how to play 
every song that came on the radio, even if I didn't like it. Even if it was Carol King, I didn't care care for Carol King when I was nine years old, I'm ten years old. But if it came on the radio, I would play it. So I would learn to play any song. In fact, we were loyal to our radio stations. By the way, we didn't have buttons and stuff to go from place to place. It was you know your, your radio station was boss, and that's what you listened to. And uh, so whatever came on, I learned to play. And so the, all that genre from from really sixty seven. On, uh, um, you know, until I started playing professionally at 15 uh, in Phoenix uh, in the late 70s, uh, that was, was, you know, classic rock. So that's what I listened to and learned to play. But it also had elements of pop. You had Beatles. You had, like I said, Carol King. You had um, Carly Simon. You had uh, Paul Simon. You had, right. I mean, you know, there, there was a variety of stuff that was, that was on. But I went for the stuff that made my heart beat harder, not necessarily faster, right? But but put out more energy with more purpose. And that's why you know my latest show, if we have you know, to talk about my band one, I play all the classic rock stuff. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, and plus we're we're you know as 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 any artist is, you're really a combination of everything that you've been exposed to, whether it's something you like or something you don't like. All those things become a part of who you are because you've been exposed to them. So I would say there's probably elements of Beethoven or Mozart or things that you've heard. But you're right. The the focus is always what drives you the most. And I love that you said what makes your heart beat harder instead of faster, because there is a different drive to the power of that heartbeat and as opposed to the speed of it. Yes, absolutely. And it has to do with uh, the state of mind that you're in at the time. And, and, uh, you know, what your thought base is that, uh, that harder heartbeat is like turning the volume of your soul up. Yeah. Yeah. Do you know what really did that for me? And this, this is going to kill at least a 30 year audience. <laughs> okay. But I'm going to tell you the truth because I only tell the truth. So what really did that for me at one level, at a whole new level was the Doobie Brothers when they came out. Really? And then what did that at a whole new level for me after that was when Van Halen came out. Mm-hmm. Uh, but really, what did the most of any band ever? Boston. Oh, yeah. I know you're a huge Boston fan, and you, you sing Boston very well. I've, I've oh, seen that you. live more than once, and uh, yeah, you've got that. You can tell that you're passionate about it when you sing that song. Oh, that, we just attribute in Element 115 when after... after um, the lead singer Brad Delp uh, decided to uh, uh, remove himself from planet Earth. Uh, we were uh, doing the song "A Man I'll Never Be," uh, but it went to a whole new level. Yeah, at yeah. that point. So we, when we that song, boy, it, it really ah. Oh. Yeah, that's actually always been my favorite Boston song. I mean, uh, of course, there's there's other classics that that you know we know and love, but for some reason that song has always struck a chord with me. And and I I say that in the you know in the literal <laughs> you know, term, term, but uh, it 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 had that's always you know that's one of the ones that's always been on my mixtapes and things like that because it's just such a beautifully written song. And I think there's such an honesty in that song that we tend to uh, we tend to see expectations that we think other people have of us, whether they're real or perceived. And we try to live up to that expectation instead of actually building the relationship and being real. Uh, it's a really strange thing, but I, I think a lot of people do that. 
Well, there's uh, that's the trouble with with humans is uh, we don't have the ability to fully telepathically communicate anymore. So there's always some level of ambiguity until you you know get exactly on frequency, amplitude, and phase with your person that you're communicating with. But that's that's pretty tough for most people to do, especially in the day of uh, you know the me the me generation and the electronic consumption. You know, all it's doing is pulling us further and further away from the use of our pineal gland and the, and the abilities that we all have in our DNA that have been told that we don't have. And on top of that, you have that constant, um, you know, self-doubt that's being pushed onto us. And uh, that certainly adds to the let's let's distance ourselves from each other because I don't feel I'm good enough to be around this group of people or I don't feel I'm good enough to be living my dream or to have this friend because they're so much better than me. And you couple that with with uh, you know those kind of things being surrounded by the electronics and and uh, not using the pineal gland. It, it just it just expands that issue so much more. Yeah, and then we'll just we'll just take this out one step further and probably then jump back where we were. And that's the fact that we're breathing, drinking, and eating uh, fluoride poisons and other metals. Right. Right. So you know how, how do we how do we uh, maximize our relationship with Creator, which is all through energy. Uh, so how how do we do that when we're being discolored, energetically speaking, with all of these metals and stuff? And, and you know we're living in if you you know if you take nanoparticles and you take a a, a pile of nanoparticles uh, or or not even nanoparticles, sand, and you zoom in and you zoom in and zoom in, eventually you get to the point where there there's more space than there is particles. And that's what our skies are like. But when you zoom out, looking at it from a fairly longer distance, a thousand miles to, to a, a radiation point like an antenna set, and, and and that hits that, it hits that that particle set like a solid device. And, and so it's like a reflector. So although we can see it, and oh, it looks kind of like clouds. It acts to certain frequencies like a solid reflector. Right. And as a side note, if anyone listening has never seen one of those uh, high-powered microscope shots of sand, uh, take a look. It's actually amazingly beautiful and intricate, yet I was just at uh, Newport Beach last week, and it just looks like sand. It looks like brown crystals. You know, It doesn't really look like anything, but when you zoom in on it to that extreme power, it's amazing. It's like a whole other world. It is. The micro world and the macro world are so common. Uh, you know, as above, so below. When you, we, we were talking before the show a little bit about satellites in space, and 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 I said, yeah, it's kind of like atoms. You know, atoms have a concentration of something in the center. Uh, I'm not really a fan of the proton theory. I'm more of a quark and 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 uh, you know, energetic ball spinning theory than 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 solid matter at all. But, you know, there's a solid, there's a set, what looks to be, or acts like a solid center, and there's a bunch of space, and then there's a bunch of stuff going around real fast, making this field around the outside. And that's kind of like what Earth is like right now, is this solid center, is this field of satellites and stuff going on out there. It's crazy. It is. And tying this in, too, um, Terranomaly is a is a themed band. It's not uh, just you know a band that puts out songs. There, there's a specific theme to what you write about. Can you tell us a little bit about that. 
Well, so far that has been the case, but I still leave my options open for the seventh album. Um, <laughs> the, the, theme, the theme is, is uh, about, ultimately, at the bigger picture, it's about taking control of our lives away from those that we have either given uh, power to um, through inaction or action or, or sometimes plain stupidity so uh, or ignorance. So what we got to uh, put into a, a, a musical context was this concept of, okay, we want to wake people up, but that's not enough. We also want them to do something. So how, how do we do that? So that was about as far as that conversation went. And then the song started coming in. Then right. I started writing stuff, and I wrote it in out of order than the Wake Up album was in. But when it was done, the Wake Up album had appeared in order. Now, you got to remember, the Wake Up album, Karen Amelie's, uh you know debut album, was um, it, it's designed like the albums of old in the 70s, during the great music time, right? right. Um, where uh, the album was then was, you know, 12-inch record, and you could open it up and you could read all about the band and the credits and, and lyrics and band members, and it was like all kinds of things were inside the album. But it was meant to be listened to from beginning to end. You start at track one, side one, and you listen to the whole thing. You flip it over, you play side two. Yes, back in the old days. And, and, and you've got the whole concept or idea and the details, okay? Well, this is what Wake Up turned out to be. I mean, I think the first song, one of, one of the first songs that we did was uh, Enough is Enough. And uh, Enough is Enough is like track eight uh, on the album. So it wasn't, it, you know, we didn't put it together in order. It didn't start out. Oh, okay. Concept album, and we're going to call it "Wake Up," and the idea is it's going to wake people up to the issues and problems that are out there, and and focus pretty much on that. It was not in our mind at all. But "Wake Up," uh, the title track, ended up being uh, what is currently the best-selling track on the album, and it is the least overtly political. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's a great track, though. I mean, I could see why I, I think I mean, there there isn't a song on the album I dislike. I think the whole thing's great. But that song in particular, I could see why that would be uh, attracted to, to a, a higher audience. Uh, but it also sets a great tone, I think, for what the band is about. Right. Yeah, because we're not gloom and doom. We're not death metal. Right. We're not, uh, you know, uh, all the blues by any by any strength of imagination. Although the opening track is "Born in the Hue of Blue," but that was more about being born into a world that's already suffocating. Right. It's yeah. being born into a world that you already got two strikes against you. So the system's rigged. So how do you get through life? Um, and it's got three lead guitars in it. So, I mean, that's a great song. <laughs> well, yeah, that, that alone would do it. But uh, that actually is my favorite track on the album. It, it is a little bit of, um, I don't want to say it's, it's a downer. It's more of a realist song, I think, saying it that, especially saying it that way that, that you've already got the two strikes against you because it really says, look, here's where things are at. It's not great. But but it also has that. But there's still you still. But have it a is chance. doable. 
It is doable. Yes, it is doable. That's the thing. And that's that's always, uh, even when I have conversations with people about, you know, uh, um, deep state and uh, uh, actual politics or whatever, you know, I always keep in mind that I know and I want them to know that we're going to make it through this. You know, there's either a thousand years of peace or a thousand years of war or a thousand years of something, something's coming. I mean, every, you know, everybody says, you know, whatever. But at the end, we're still here. Right. That's true. And, it, and, it, and mankind goes through phases anyway, sure. through um, apathy and then enslavement and then rebellion and then freedom and then apathy. I mean, it's, 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 Right. Because it doesn't, because it always cycles back. There's always something new that takes over. And, uh, you know, you know, it's kind of, it's, it's really like a real life soap opera, you know, whoever, uh, is, is, uh, the antagonist is their power rises and then people wake up and then they overthrow them. And then somebody else comes into power and then people wake up and then they overthrow them. And somebody, it's just this cycle that keeps happening over and over. It's just done in different ways as the world grows through technology and awareness and people finding their strengths and people choosing, because it is a choice that people have to make to take control of their lives. Yes. And if they have thought about maybe stepping out and doing something about it. They aren't sure that there's other people who know or feel the same way. Listen to the Wake Up album. To right. find out that a whole bunch of people, because if we know, you know, a whole lot of other people know. So uh, you can listen to that album. And, and, and definitely, the great thing about CDs, okay, is you can still put lyrics in them. <laughs> yeah. So... Um, uh, if, if somebody wants to, you know, find out more, grab, get a CD, CD baby or whatever. And in the lyrics, there's like a, what is it, a nine, eight, eight panel, uh, insert on there or something like that. So, um, so it's lots of, you know, all the lyrics of the albums are in, of the album are in there. And this album, because it is, uh, I, I write, I write akin and I, and correct me if I'm wrong, if I'm stepping out of line, and I know you will, uh, if if we if we if, if if you were to compare like the the kind of lyrics that I write, it's more like Rush or Yes than it is ACDC or Bad Company or something. Right? Wouldn't you agree? I was going to say Debbie Gibson, but yeah, I think. Uh... <laughs> I, I, I would say that that's right, because especially if you really read Rush's lyrics, and I, I like Rush, for some reason, I've never really connected with them as much as I have other bands like Uriah Heep and Deep Purple, but I do like them. And when I actually watched a, a behind-the-scenes documentary on them last year, I was actually blown away by the the true depth of intellect in not just their music, but their lyrics as well. They're very intelligently written. Right. They have a message that they feel is important enough that they feel that they can do it in a way that is going to bring the listener up mm-hmm. rather than, than for you to say, you know, I want to do something to you while you're not looking and, you know, bring the audience down. That's like, no, no, no. These guys, they really have something to say. And Rush, look, I mean, uh, you know, there's trouble with the forest, you know, trees, the song of trees. What a great metaphorical uh, uh, construct, and musically, it's just, of course, that got to love a guy who can play guitar and keyboard at the same time. you got to love that, right? Yes, absolutely, because that is, I, I mean, just playing drums and trying to sing is, is enough of a challenge at times. 
but uh, but now people memorize lyrics and they do it. I think almost in a more phonetic way. How what what do you think the difference is between people that just sing the song because they know the words and people that really actually take the time to understand uh, at least some interpretation of what the meaning of the song is. Like, why am I singing this song? Why am I passionate about this? You know? Well, first, firstly, I think that a lot of people can't even do that if they don't read it. Mm-hmm. Okay? If you're not a poet, you may not grasp the word emotion magic. Uh, that you can, the things that you can say by not saying them with other words that you say. So, so sometimes we're, I feel that I think that people would have a much better chance, I should say, of, of grabbing the meaning of the author by looking at the word, reading and listening to them, but, but also reading. I think that there's a, uh, you know, I used to create, you know, custom curriculum for K-12 education, you know, back in the 90s. And, and uh, one of the things that in our studies that we found was that uh, writing and reading stimulates another area of the brain that listening doesn't, and vice versa. I believe that because the, the different type of exposure you have to any kind of stimulus will elicit a different result. Yeah, that yep. makes sense. And, and there is a, there is a fixed a for any given time a fixed corpus callosum. So you're only you're only jumping hemispheres um, under certain scenarios and situations, and you have a much better chance of doing that if you're reading and listening at the same time than if you're just listening. Well, and one of the the new trends that I've started to see pop up on YouTube are lyric videos. No. Yeah. I don't know anybody that has those. <laughs> No, you wouldn't know anything about that, the Terra Anomaly YouTube channel. <laughs> On the Wake Up album, uh, I did two music videos, uh, and and the rest are lyric videos. But the whole album is up there. Right. Um, on, on the Terra Anomaly channel, as you know. So the Wake Up uh, uh, song, the title track, is a video, because that one just, I just, I just saw, you know, so many pieces in my mind. And so that was pretty quick to put together. And then the other one I just had to do a video on was Don't Come For My Gun and I Won't Shoot You. Right. And that was hilarious. I love that. (laughs) You know, who says you can't be funny and make a point at the same time? But, you know, it's interesting because when I was writing a script a few years ago, my producer said to me, you'll connect better with serious material if you deliver it in a comedic setting. So you should really rewrite this as a comedy instead of a drama. And when I look at what you're doing, that is kind of what you're doing because you do <laughs> a lot of parody to get the message across. Was yeah. that, the, is that the intent behind that? Why you choose that Absolutely. medium? Absolutely. I do that. I do that. For, so people first are already tapping their foot before they know what's going on. First of all, right. Then they're reading and, and kind of, you know, going along. And then the, I hit them with the hammer and then they, they like, they're already in such a good mood. It doesn't knock them out. Uh, it just, it just makes them punchy. Yeah. So, you know, and people like that. Uh, that's why you drink alcohol, right? So, right? I mean, yeah. it's like, you might as well, you might as well, you know, take something into the brain that hopefully in the future, and this is, look, look seriously, you know, I, I laugh. Uh, even extraterrestrials said I have a great sense of humor. Um, but really what it's about is getting the whole planet back on 
the meaning of life is just service to others. You know, we, we've all got to raise that level of service to others um, to raise the planet. And the only way I can think to do that is to get the thumb off of your back that's being put there by by free will and uh, people taking advantage uh, to, you know, uh, uh, remove people's opportunities for greatness. So if we take control of our own lives back, as much as that can be done, then we have a better chance to achieve the things that you can't do in the current scenario. So that's why the wake-up problem is there to identify, you know, enough is enough. Is like, look, uh, and talk about timing, you know, with the chorus saying, um, I'm wondering if it's time to call the bluff, you know, uh, and, and so many people are at that point. So there's there's uh, there's poignancy as well as comedy uh, in you know a lot of the songs that are right, but but most of the stuff that that that's coming out like now on um, on the second album, which is Do Something, uh, to follow up the Wake Up album, we only called Do Something, and that one identifies the things to do to fix the problems that we identified in the Wake Up album. So in Do Something, it's more it's more to the point, you know. Well, and that's a brilliant progression, but. What I see these days in in my fairly minimal interaction with society, and I'm really not on social media that much. I kind of, I get on, I do my my promotion, I send, you know, I check on a few people and then I I get off and go back to writing. But um, do you think that now is the most difficult time to get people to actually take action in the, in the light of this me, you know, not the me too movement, but the, the me generation that we're we can identify a problem, but getting people to actually take action as opposed to going, yeah, somebody should do something about that. Let's make some posts on Facebook and talk about how bad things are, which will really do nothing but just get people angry. But that doesn't get them to do something and make change. Can I, can I quote Jack Black here? Do it. One great rock show can change the world. Yes, that is true. Okay. So, it isn't a matter of is it easier or isn't it easier. But the tools, you know, I've been doing this since forever, multimedia. The tools are now available to anyone. Uh, I'm still using a 2008 computer, Mac computer, and, and I'm still producing television shows with it. So, I mean, you don't have to have, you know, tens of thousands of dollars to, to make something. And it can be a meme. I mean, you know, my, you know, I have that website, see what I meme. That U.S. There's, there's like all kinds. You could do so much with a meme. You can't tell me that that, uh, for instance, the Trump train didn't get going because of memes. Right. That's true. Just saying, anything can happen if you have memes. So yes. the right meme at the right place, or the right song in the right place, or the right rock tour at the right place. Imagine, if you will, New American Anthem. Okay, track ten on on the album. Uh, New American Anthem and Last Man Standing playing in a, in a British, uh, uh, you know, amphitheater or something. You know, they, they get, uh, what the Yanks are going through. Okay. They really do. There's a lot of, a lot of people watching what's going on and, uh, you won't find it on the media, just like ours, but there's a lot of people who are knowing what's going on and, and they, they would be all over this. But it has to, you have to bring it to them. You have to get it in front of them. And uh, there, there has to be the right hook at the right time. Just like fishing. Right hook at the right time. 
get you what you need to do. And and the, the advantage of now over, let's say, the 70s is, is we have all these tools available to us to put something out right now in front of the planet. But isn't that also a double-edged sword because you also because it is now so accessible, you now have a flood of it to cut through to get that message out? Yeah, that's absolutely true. That's why I think there should be a class in grade school called Search Engine Logic. Because uh, one of the reasons Jeff is as brilliant as he is, our former guitar player at Element 115, you know, and my son, uh, right. you know, he got he got uh, uh, a lot of his um, problem-solving skill by me teaching him search engine logic. So no matter what it is that he wants to find, he knows what to type in the search engine to get it to probably come up in the first 10 hits. Right. And that's, I think there should be, in this day of the library being replaced with the Internet, there should definitely be some sort of uh, in, uh, you know, Internet management course for, for kids that teaches them how to find what they're looking for. And to do that, of course, you got to be able to uh, concisely reduce the phraseology of what you're looking for into three words. And if you can do that, you can find it. Right. Everything is out. I, I, you know, I compare the networks. You know how I'm always down on the networks, but you know the, the networks, you can only get the lies. On the Internet, you can get all of those lies, but you can also get the truth. You have to know how to find it or how to dig to get past exactly. all of this stuff to do it. What yeah. to type into the search engine. And if you want something that's like controversial, don't use Google. What would you use? Use Bing or Bing or DuckDuckGo. I like DuckDuckGo myself. It's just, uh, it brings, uh, without this, without their filters. Without, and, and they've admitted to it. So this is not like theory. Uh, this is fact. They, they make filters to, to re, uh, remove results from people who are looking for certain things. So uh, that's why I use like DuckDuckGo or, or Bing if, if it's on someone else's computer and they don't have it. I like when at least companies can be honest about what they do. Like Apple has fully come out and admitted that they throttle the uh, the speed of the older phones right. so that it, it's inspiring yeah. you to go buy an iPhone X. I'm still waiting for Bill Gates to come out and admit that he stole the operating system from his neighbor. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you but, think you it's know, by I, this point, you know. <laughs> right? Yeah. Why does this come out and tell us? Anyway. Right. Well, I, you know, and I, I love the message that you guys are getting out there because I do love when people are not complacent when they're not willing to just accept things that are wrong, that actually want to make the world a better place. I have my way of doing it. Uh, you know, obviously through, through music that I'm trying to just filter all the, the anger and everything out of people through my mental sauna music, because we should not be, uh, you know, stuffed with that around us all the time. And well, that's, I, a, needed, that's a needed service. Exactly. So you are you are fulfilling definitely a needed service. People need to unwind, de-stress, and um, you know I tell people, as you know, I, I have a, a UFO tour in Sedona, and I take people out on on UFO tour, and 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 every, you know whenever it's clear night, we're out there uh, looking at craft, and uh, one of the things that I tell them is is fear is the great stopper of all mankind. That's right. And the opposite of fear, or the or the uh, the the antithesis of fear is knowledge. So if you have knowledge, then you don't need to have the fear. 
Right. I'm not saying you won't need to take preparations against some, you know, whatever. I mean, you know, tornadoes coming. It's like, you know, take preparations. Go right. out the right? <laughs> yeah, go in the basement. So, yeah, you know, it's pretty simple. So right. if that, that's the way so much of people's stress uh, is nexus to them. It's like, I can see it, therefore it's attacking me. No, you can see it, therefore it's out there, but it's not attacking you. Look around you. Look but, two feet around you. Look four feet around you. Look ten feet around you. And that goes into that same mentality I was saying earlier about like relationships where people uh, perceive their their... Uh, partner or their friend's view of them and their expectations, and then you become afraid of not living up to that. Um, why are why do we allow fear to control us so much when it's so easy to not let that happen? I, I, I got a comment on on when I learned that other people's perceptions is so much different than what your perception is. Uh, I went to a ten year reunion. Um, well, ten years after you know I graduated, right? And there were there were uh, girls there that, that you know that ten years earlier I just thought were untouchable, unreachable, they're beyond. You know, I'll play guitar and entertain them, but I'm not going to ask them out. And I was I walked up walked up to by several, you know, I don't know two, three, four of them, that said, "Why did you ever ask me out? I always thought you were so cute or whatever." You know, it's like, are you kidding me? You were you were a dance team or whatever, you know, kind of like, oh, no, you should yeah. like So you, you never know uh, what what someone else may think of you. And the most important thing is it shouldn't matter to a point, yeah. uh, to a degree. Okay, everything's in degrees. So it really shouldn't matter what any individual person thinks of you, aside from someone who's supplying you something that you're doing for contract, like a job or whatever. Right. But uh, what should matter is are you true to yourself? And, and when I when I get a chance to bump into kids and talk to them, most of the time I say, so what do you want to do? Or, I don't know, what makes you happy? Well, I like doing this. Well, what do you think that maybe this would make you happy? Well, I don't know. Well, maybe you could look into it. Yeah. You know, it's, it's about finding a way to guide them to happiness because that's the whole point of us to be here. And, and one of the side effects of happiness is that you'll want to help others be happy. That's, that's service to others. That's part of it. Exactly. So if you get a smile every day and you can help deliver a smile to someone else every day, then you're on the right track. And that that's actually one of my daily goals is to at least make one person smile, because no matter what else has happened in that day, I know at least one good thing has come out of it. Out of that. Amen, brother. Awesome. Yeah. And, and, uh, but, you know, and I can understand during those formulative years, especially in, you know, in junior high through high school, where you're trying to validate yourself. And if you think that people are at different levels and not realizing that we're all human beings, uh, or at least most of us, um, you know, it's, it's understandable to want that, that validation and and say, I don't think I'm going to get it from this person. So I'm not going to try as opposed to today's world's tougher on that track, business fits. On today's rule, it's tougher than it was when even you were a kid, alone when I was a kid, uh, regarding that because there's so many, so much more than just real people in your classroom. Right now, there's 30 million people on face spot place, whatever you want to use it. You know, um, to and so and you have to please them too. Yeah, it's like no, yeah. this is wrong. But, you know, that's where we're at. 
Well, you have to give the perception that you're pleasing him, right? Because you don't have to tell the truth. You don't have to say who you really are. You're creating a you're creating a persona personified version of yourself of you know what you'd like to be or your ideal life. You mean like our you mean like our element one fifteen drummer? Yes. Yes. And I was <laughs> gonna ask you about him, but uh but but to finish this point, it's like um we we present versions of, of ourselves that we want people to believe we are instead of just saying, look, here's who I am. If you have ideas of how I can do things differently that would make me happier, I'm open to it. It's more the, you know, I'm going to show you who you think I am so that you think I'm great or who I want you to think you am so yeah. I th- you think I'm great. And then there's those other people that are just everything is doom and gloom and they just want that, you know, constant attention. And no matter what right. you tell them, they're never going to be happy. Right. Yeah. There's there's certainly a lot of that out there. And it's unfortunate. And it's really a, it's really a, a myth. Mm, in this uh, uh, definition of priorities, mm-hmm. you know, is, is what's what's most, you know, I remember back uh, when I was a little kid, when, when, uh, you know, Vietnam was going on and stuff, it was, it was uh, this, this priority back in America at that time. Okay. Of, of, uh, God, guns and country or God, uh, um, uh, uh family, in a community, or or we know there's like this this hierarchy, you know, uh, of of God, family, uh, country, or whatever. I mean, it was like people had those kinds of things, and and there was a priority there that whoever your creator is, and it really doesn't matter what what his name is, uh, whoever that creator is, there has to be something that's higher than than human. Right. There has to be. Uh, in, I mean, in, even in your mind, whether there is or isn't, it can be proved or not proved. It's really irrelevant. There needs to be something, at least in your mind, to let you know that there's something more important than human, uh, because you're really not human. You're you're in a meat suit. Uh, your light that is your energy that is what defines you at this moment. It's always changing. Uh, and when it goes back to the collective, it comes back out. It's really changed. But anyway, those, that's really what's important. And so how that is presented through your Misu is is what should be the priority, I think. How is that light presented? I mean, if that light's already angry, then fine. That, that's what you are. You're angry. But is that artificially induced because of some uh, warped desire for attention because you get attention when that happens? I mean, we all go through that when we're two. Sure. And some of us don't have to go when we're 20. But there's, you know, th- that priority just needs to change. And I, I don't want to, I'm not going to, you know, go all... Uh, religious or anything, but it's it's about uh, getting out of one's perception that they're only a a evolved slime mold. Because if we evolved from slime mold, there wouldn't be any slime mold. Well, that's true, and I think it's it's just getting out of those things that we we let get to us day to day that really don't matter. Like I, I've right. you know read stories about people that have called nine one one because McDonald's is out of chicken nuggets and they paid for them. Uh-huh. And, you know. It's you know they don't want the refund. They have to get the chicken nuggets, and they actually call nine one one. We got to let all this stupid little stuff that doesn't matter learn to roll that off our back. Yes, you know there was a there was a saying when I was in school: "Sticks and stones can break my bones, but words will never hurt me." That's and right. And someone could say, "You're the ugliest." God look face bitch thing, and then back in that day, you know that was very mean. Um, but we had sticks and stones to break my bones, and nobody picked up a stick or a stone and ever hurt you. That's you true. Know, it, was, it, was, it was just words bounced off. We had a 
a better, mm, I think a better uh, um, concept of reality is a 3D world, you know, back then than now because there's there's so much push on. I've got 40 likes. I got to get five more likes today, or, yeah. or I'm not worthy. Right. Right. I, I thought my friends love me. How come they don't all like my page? I've got 4,000 friends right. and only 150 like my page. You know, it's, it's, it's not a representation of anything except some ridiculous perceived thing in our head. And I'll admit that I do, I do, I get a lot of pulse, uh, you know, the feel of the pulse of the people through Twitter. Uh, I spend more time on Twitter than I should. And I'll admit that. Uh, I don't do Facebook at all. Yeah. Don't do it. But Twitter, um, uh, besides, you know, it used to be really, really tough to put a complex meaning uh, into 128 characters. So I took it as a challenge, personally. Of course as you a writer, and, and, you know, did what I could. Uh, now there's 288 characters. I could practically write a biopic. Uh, but uh, it's, uh, that, that's how I kind of get the pulse of what's going on. But I don't, I don't worry about how many uh, uh, users I've lost, except, you know, once in a while, if someone's saying, hey, it looks like the sensors came through, I'll go, yeah, I lost 8% today, or whatever. Because um, when the sensors do, they, you know, because I'm, hey, Karen I'm is conservative, let's just face it, uh, in, in today's in today's meaning of the word. So uh, I, I'm uh, uh, looking to see what the, what the reach is, but if I lose 20 people or 30 people in a day, or uh, only two people join today or whatever, it's not like, Oh gee, I'm gonna go have a margarita. No, it's it really that's not what's important. I want to see the people who are following. I want to see what they're saying and what they're thinking, what they're doing, because I always want to write music that's got my message, but I also want to write it in such a way that it's going to reach people who are going to spread it to other people who may not be awakened yet. Notice I did not use the word woke. Right, won't do it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so those who are awakened to pass it to those who are coming out of REM, right? And, right. and spread, spread the word and, and get it going. So I do, I do a little bit of that kind of stuff, but really it's, you know, when people, when people say, I think this, who's with me? You know, I will not respond. If it's, I think this, and I agree with it, I'll give it a, a, a like. Sure. But, you know, and, and, Looking at the numbers of, you know, likes and things like that, it's really an irrelevant thing unless you understand what's behind it. It's like doing all these, uh, you know, formulas on a spreadsheet and you get the result of the number 95. Oh, it's 95. It's even, it's even more irrelevant when you know what's going on behind it because there's so <laughs> yeah. much bot work mm-hmm. and fake data that the companies are all being sued for having the fake data. Right. I mean, there's suits all over the country right now from all these majors in the, in the social market. But if I had 10,000 likes on my fan page on Facebook, for example, but I'm only selling, you know, two or three albums a month, then what does that 10,000 mean? It means nothing. It, it's, it doesn't correlate sure. to anything. You know, it's just numbers on a page. And you get all these people that, that want you to be a, a statistic, especially on Facebook. They'll like you and, or they'll uh, friend request you. And then you go, oh, hey, it's great to meet you. And then the next thing you get is a, is a, a link to like their page. Not even a hello or anything. Just, hey, here's right. like this, you know. And, and it's yeah. almost like in the digital world, there's very little personal connection because it's just too easy to be anonymous. Yes, and this also rolls into when you listen to music, are you reading the lyrics? 
Right. And you said, yes, now they're starting to put lyrics. People are starting, people are starting, it's funny, Element 115 had lyric videos, of, I don't know, how many years ago. But, you know, people are starting to put lyric videos up now because why? It's like you can understand right. the message. If they care enough to put lyric videos up and they care enough for you to understand the message. Well, I'll give you a, a perfect example of that because, you know, I'm one of those people that back in the days of albums, I used to love when they came with a lyric sheet and I would listen to the album and read every line and look at the pictures and look at, you know, anything else they offer. Yep. Uh, and you can do that with the CD if you use that same high-powered microscope that you look at sand with. <laughs> but one of the songs that I loved from the 80s, and I don't know if you know this song, but I recently actually dug into the lyrics and the meaning of the song. And I was very surprised at what it's about. And it's who's behind the door by zebra. Hmm. I don't have that in my repertory. It's a wonderful song. One of my favorite songs from that, that age. And, uh, I did not know it was about interaction with aliens, which brings me to my question of who is Al and how the hell do you pronounce his last name? Jeff Ginsellister, I think, something like that. I've never been really good at pronouncing it either. (laughs) Al is is the drummer from the uh, band Element 115, and Al is an extraterrestrial, and he uh, uh, was on a planet some uh, 35 or 40 light years away and is uh, basically an anthropologist, uh, you know, species researcher, whatever they call him, out there on his world. And he was had an uh, antenna that was kind of pointing out, and they caught some Earth rock and roll music from 40 years ago, because it's 40 light years away, right? So he was hearing, uh, oh, nice, they all, the Who and Beatles and all that kind of stuff. And he thought, wow, how awesome would it be to be a drummer in a band that plays this kind of cool music? So he sent out a, uh, a, a beam to Earth that, of course, you know me, I've always got my ears out, uh, picked him up on a SETI program and and um, interviewed him. He said he wanted to be a drummer. I said, you got it. So we figured out how we're going to do this. And he and I worked together to figure out how to bring him to the stage on a 12-foot plasma video wall. And uh, a lot of people don't know this. We opened up for Alan Parsons in war at the 2007 Roswell UFO Festival. Which is awesome. They liked us so much, they brought us back in 2008 as a headliner for the three-day event. you got to love that. And, yeah. Oh, we had, we were, and we were, this was in 2008, uh, in July of 2008, and we live broadcasted it. We live streamed it, and we had a, uh, uh, about 1,100 watchers around the world from Russia, Australia, every, I mean, all over the world uh, watching the show. And uh, we had about uh, 1,200 people or so there on site. So it was a pretty decent um, pretty decent show. We dug the heck out of it. Yeah, and getting to work with a guy like Alan Parsons, who, you know, I don't really know if he gets the credit out in the world for what he's done, but that guy is an absolute musical genius. You could say only five words is all you got to say. It's five words. Dark side of the moon. Right. Yeah. But his solo stuff, too. I mean, just a phenomenal artist. Oh, true. 
Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely true. And also uh, getting information out years ahead of time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Things like Iron uh, Sky. Uh, Sky and stuff of that nature. Um, you know, he was another deep writer. Yeah. And uh, Jeff Bird, my music partner in Terranomaly, he actually went to Alan Parsons School, basically, and graduated from Alan Parsons School. And that's when I started changing all of our recordings to 88.2 and 24-bit and all that kind of stuff because I learned that that's the best way to do it if you're going to go to 44.1. It's recorded at 88.2, that way you don't have fragments. Right, and yeah. So, you know, a lot more, of course, in his course, a lot more. It's really worth it if you're going to be an engineer to uh, to take that course if you can. He he, he only handpicks, you know, a certain number of people to to take the course, but Jeff has connections. Yeah, apparently so, yeah. But he's also got the skills to back it up. Otherwise, he wouldn't yep. have, you know, taken them. Uh, I was really impressed when he played me uh, for play a long time that he recorded. I said, okay, first of all, I know you play organ, but I know you don't play this. Okay, because I know that, you know, I'm still working on foreplay, like, I don't know, what, nine years later, trying to get that down on the keyboard. Uh, and, uh, you know, it was flawless. Wow. Every note, every vote, everything, and what he did, he's a master of sampling. So he could play a note and drop it in uh, or in arrangements of notes and drop and cut them and drop them in so it sounded like it's being played live, but it really wasn't. And and I just went, man, that's good. Yeah, and that was there was so much of that in the eighties uh, when uh, when my brother was up brother. here uh, in I think August or September. We went to the uh, live eighties Lost concert, which was eighteen bands from the eighties, and <laughs> a lot of them were just like a singer and a keyboard player. Everything else was sampled, even the the melody lines, even the keyboard lines. All just, you know, you would see the keyboard player just standing there while the rest of the song is playing at parts. And I'm like, right. there's nothing about this live that's really that exciting, except that I never thought I'd get to see these bands play. And then you had some that were a full band, you know. I call that tracking as opposed to sampling. When I say sampling, what I mean is he hits a note on a guitar, records it into his computer, drop, then cuts it and drops it on the timeline. And so he's got a riff going, uh, um, this is from a yes tune. Uh, and and uh, he can make that happen, even though he can't play that right, on yeah. the guitar at that speed or anything else. He can play each note and then drop it in on the timeline. It takes him a long time to get stuff done. But yeah. man, I was, I was you know, I, I can play every instrument of Boston enough to do every song of Boston, except keyboards. Tom Schultz, what a master of the rock keyboard. Yeah, I would highly agree with that. Well, how do you, so tell us uh, a little, uh, and, and uh, to finish up on Al, for those who, who haven't had the chance to see it, and I'm sure you've got some stuff up on, uh, on uh, YouTube, but. Element 115theband.com. That's, that's the way to, yeah. Check right. Right. There, this really was uh, an amazing thing that, that I've never seen anyone else do in this way is it really was, it was nine television screens in a square and you actually did get to see Al perform in line with the band. It was in sync, yes. uh, not the band in sync, but it was in sync <laughs> with the music. Uh, and it was, it was, he was a character. I mean, he interacted between the songs. He had facial expressions. It was very real. 
thank you. I, I, for for the time, and remember, this was I invented him in two thousand four. So you know, at the time, uh, computers were only you know so good available to the public uh, that weren't being used for PBS animation. But what I did is I wrote a MIDI to animation converter in a program that was called Director. And it was a macromedia program uh, used for using your computer for much more than you know most people would ever think of. And so I wrote, I, I did a a 3D. I used Poser and I did a 3D uh, full movement of Al uh, using each stick to hit each drum and each cymbal. Okay, and it, and and then I and I took um, I took that and broke it up into what would be called sprites today. Uh, uh, you know, a, a set of a set of characters that run on command. So I could make his left arm hit the snare. And then make his right arm hit the hi hat or whatever. And uh, once I had that done, then it's just a matter of triggering it. So I triggered it based on the MIDI file. Right. So I would massage the MIDI file because I played the drums in my studio. So I massaged the MIDI file, pulled out just what I needed, put that into a text file that I could import into Director. Director would read the text file on the fly uh, with the the you know the time. Uh, in milliseconds that into the song to do each movement and he would do that and I would just record that uh, in a screen capture program and and then I would actually take the two track mix down of that drum that I recorded and put that underneath the uh, the animation right and that came our timing track and I wrote another program that ran on the laptop live on stage that just played songs and those songs were on a menu on the screen and also, but the, here's the tricky part. You know, you think that, that's pretty cool right there, right? It is. The guy, the drummer is playing in real time to the songs. But not only that, I also had a, a MIDI to DMX interface, and I controlled all of the par lighting, robotic lighting, the, the front uh, spot lighting, all in the same program on the laptop with commands that got sent out at the right millisecond in every song to make the lights change. And so all we had to do was know where to stand on the stage at the right time, and the light would come on us, and we'd do our thing. That's pretty amazing. So a completely self-automated light show as well. Completely self-automated light show. And if that's not enough, now what would you pay? I also sent out through that minibus all of the patch commands to all of our sound modification devices and keyboards. So while I never played a MIDI note on stage, all of the patch commands were changed on the fly in the song at the right time so that I could play clean guitar, be standing 15 feet away from my pedals, and at the right moment it goes to distort a guitar when a song goes into the, the hard part or whatever. Oh, that's and I would cool. never have to settle. Yeah. yeah. And if that's not enough, <laughs> for ten dollars more thing, one more thing that we had that's just now becoming popular. I'm starting to see them more often. We had a microphone stand on the front of the stage. Now, Carl and I were the singers of the band, and we used headset microphones, so we were always free to roam the stage and entertain the audience while we're singing. But we had a, a microphone, a set microphone, on a stand in the front of the stage, hooked up to a harmonizer. And, you know, if you've ever worked a harmonizer, you got to have a keyboard hooked up to it or whatever so that you can play the right harmony right. at the right time. Uh-uh, didn't do that. In the program that ran on that laptop, I also included the commands to the harmonizer that would change the chord on the fly 
in the song. Wow. So you, you, you just said one of us, Carter or myself, would be singing our part into our headset mic and lean into that microphone and three-part harmony comes out. You really pushed that laptop. And by the way, the first laptop that did this was a Mac 540C. That old doorstop? That old doorstop ran the Element 115 show. Now, you know, then I moved it up to the 2005, 17-inch so I could see what the heck was going on. Well, that does but, help, um, yeah. But yeah, I'm going to take this it. a step further because not only did you have Al doing uh, very human-like movements in the, the video portion, but you also had the front of the bass drum head would, would move if the bass drum was struck. <laughs> it was a very yeah. realistic, you know, you're not seeing somebody on stage with a physical drum kit, but you are seeing a very realistic representation of what it would be like if he was physically there with you. I mean, the kit was yeah. alive. He was alive. The, there was a window that you could look out of. He would take a drink in between songs. I mean, it was very, very, <laughs> like he was really a real entity. Well, I, and, and I, what I did is I used the old Felix the Cat metaphor. You know, Felix the Cat used to have this bag that he could pull anything out of. Well, I used uh, Al's bass drum. So he could just re- lean back, pull from behind his bass drum and pull out anything. Yeah. He'd pull out yep. binoculars. He'd look in the back row and wave to the kids in the back row. He'd pull out. If some girl said, hey, I love you, Al, he would reach down and pull out a, a diamond ring. <laughs> and, then he would, and then he would, like, give an eyebrow twitch so that, you know, that's his magic to get the girl. Right. Uh, you know, he had, he had uh, a beer that he could drink. Um, yeah. Uh, he would, uh, he had drum solo, too. He did. He yeah. did. It was very good. <laughs> But now, with with all this being so precise and and having to be for the purpose of the way that you needed to to create it, did it limit you at all on stage from from you know uh, make, taking more time between the songs to talk to the audience or interact or because you were really no, stuck to a song, time frame. Each song uh, was a separate entity. So oh. what it, how how it does limit you is um, in the song I can't extend the lead solo right. Yeah. Okay. I can't. I can't take if we're doing I love rock and roll, and we did uh, in the middle where it's doing the hand claps. It can only be that long, even if everybody's into it. I cannot extend it because right. the song is a movie. Exactly. The drummer, anyway, yeah. is a movie. And so that, but in between, I could I could talk and joke and play, name that riff, which of course is one of my favorite things to do with a live audience. Uh, do a, a lead riff, and if they get the name of the song, I throw them a CD or a T-shirt or whatever. Right. It's like that that kind of interaction is fun, and it takes us, you know, a step beyond most of the ones that are too stuck up to do that kind of stuff. And uh, But at the same time, the show was um, amazingly complex, but we could set it up ourselves, the band. We didn't need a, a, a 18-wheeler full of seven engineers and, and everything, you know, right. to make it all work. Yeah. Now, of course, I have a new show. Then I, I, I said I wasn't going to really mention it, but I am going to mention it now because it kind of took Element 115 to the next level. I've got a new show playing that great classic rock. It's called One. And uh, I told you earlier, I do play every instrument. So what I did is I, I have this uh, green screen video studio here in my house. And I, I videoed me playing drums. Then I videoed me playing bass. And I videoed me playing guitar and keyboards if necessary. Um, to uh, 50 classic rock songs that nice. I happen to love. Mm-hmm. And and then I put those all together 
into a single HD video, uh, uh, you know, uh, 1080p video uh, file. And then I've got four 65-inch screens instead of the nine 42-inch screens. It's about the same size. Four 65-inch screens uh, that now play my whole band, me, me, and me, uh, in the background. Over ZZ Top, it's just me and me. Right. Because, yeah, you know, right. No other there's so, no drummer. And then guys. I play up front in front of it with uh, with my rig, which, you know, my guitar also plays keyboards and all that other kind of stuff on it. So I have that, and I do the lead vocals, and they do the backup vocal, and it's a whole new show called One, and uh, you can see it at onemanoneband.com, and those are spelled out, no numbers in the, in the no numerals in the name, onemanoneband.com. Yeah, it's, it's fun and different. I, you know, nobody's done this that I know of, a whole show. Right. I mean, there's been music videos where somebody did one song, but did they really play all the instruments? I got it. Right. I actually am playing all the instruments and seeing all the seeing all the parts, and I think that's what makes it unique. And when people are really paying attention, there's little uh, flaws and and things that may happen. And so, what I could do at the end of a set is say, "Okay, now who saw Handsome Rob, our cat, walk through the screen? And what song was it in? If you theme with the song, then you get you know a drink stub or what I mean, whatever I want to give away." So it's like I try to make people pay attention uh, rather than just sitting and talking so that they're enjoying the show. Right. Yeah, because even at a concert, it's hard to get people to engage because they're they're still looking down at their phones. They're, you know, talking right. to each other. And as an artist, that's so hard to watch people standing there in the front row not watching the band play. That, that's what one of the things that I love so much about Element 115 was that there was kids there's always going to be a kid right up against the stage. And even if somebody wasn't really paying attention or whatever, that kid is really engaged. And I would get down there and let him hit the whammy on my guitar, you know, while I'm playing and stuff like that to, to bring them to, you know, like I, I want to write music and do that when I grow up kind of thing. That, that's great. Cause we definitely need more uh, minstrels, poets and stages. Yes. Well, you know, I, I recently uh, saw, and I go to some of the shows here in Vegas whenever I can, and I went to a show recently, and uh, of course, at the beginning of every show, they announced that they request that you turn off your cell phones. You're not allowed to take pictures or videos. And uh, and if, if they see you doing it, they'll come and confiscate your phone. They'll make sure you delete it, and you'll get kicked out for the rest of eternity. But of course, there's always somebody I see in the audience that's you know trying to discreetly film, and you're not enjoying the show you're not being respectful to the artists and, and all the people that put the production together, but to see that on stage, that's really tough. Well, this is why I really like playing for, uh, you know, two and three, 4,000 people or more. And the bright lights are on me. So I can't see them. <laughs> well, that's great. That's like the ostrich. Syndrome, I love right? them, but I can't see them if they're pissing me off. So that's that's no, a good idea. Kidding. Yeah. Uh, now, this is interesting, though, because you see comedians do a one-man show. You see actors do a one-man show. I see those here in Vegas uh, from time to time. In fact, uh, my former director, Marcus Weiss, just did one. Uh, but you don't see musicians doing them unless it's some sort of comedic, uh, I've got eight instruments strapped to me and I've got a cartoon horn right. and a cowbell and you know that sort of thing. Right. So this is really exactly. unique. Exactly. Well, that's that's what I was trying. I'm always trying to do that. You know, that's with Element 115 with Terran Holly, which one? I'm always trying to do something that hasn't been done. I would say you do uh, because I've been in. 
Now, the only the only way I could see you being able to expand that is you were saying like you can't extend a guitar solo or be able to do longer hand claps for I Love Rock and Roll would be to be able to use like a live looper, but you'd have to do it for video as well. And it would have to be so precise that you don't see the jump cut. Right. And that, as you know, because I see everything at 30 frames a second, I'm sure you do too. It's, it's, uh, it's really tough. I got to play, I already got to play guitar, bass, drums, and keyboards and sing uh, good enough that the people in the audience aren't, aren't saying, oh, I can do better than that. Right. Yeah. I already got to do that. Okay. So it's like, I don't need any more pressure. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, I don't, I don't know if that's something you can pre-program so that you can or can choose to trigger it or not. Uh, but that's really the only thing I could see you being able to do beyond this. But of course yeah. you have, I mean, I, I think I'm a fairly creative person, but compared to you, that's like, uh, you know, a, a Eminem mini compared to a, a souffle. Like I can't even think yeah, on yeah, a creative I would, level. I, I would slash you silly right now if you're in the room. So, you would. You know, <laughs> that's you're, why I'm you're here. Awesomely, and... You're awfully creative. Well, thank you. But that's why I'm saying this from a whole state away from you because <laughs> I can. Uh, but no, and, and, and I mean, honestly, yeah, my ability to see frames per second depends on how much coffee I've had. And if I've had Carla's <laughs> coffee, your, your wonderful wife, right. I love, uh, She, you guys make some amazing coffee. And if I have that, yes, I can see at, at you know, uh, uh, running speed. <laughs> <laughs> it's, and, and I tell you, you know, 30 frames, uh, I, I was kind of, you know, brought up, I started doing video when video first, you know, came possible on VHS and all that kind of thing, I started editing videos. But the the uh, uh, nature of grabbing 30 frames a second and seeing the world at 30 frames a second uh, made it really nice because they couldn't throw a frame by on me. You know, I could always see whatever, even if it was one frame, I'd say, look at that, did you see that? No, no, I didn't see that. Ah, oh, come on, let's rewind it. There it is, one frame. You know, so I, I would see that. But now they're doing 120 frames. Yeah. Nah, I don't have that. I remember uh, visiting a friend of mine in Arizona, Kevin Tai, who has a studio in uh, in Mesa, and he had just gotten one of those new uh, 40 plasma screen TVs. And he he was watching, I think it was The Hobbit, one of The Hobbit movies. And I'm looking at this going, I don't, my brain doesn't like this because everything is sharp. So if something is 100 feet in the background, it should be blurry. It should be in perspective to to what the human eye would see. But they sharpen everything. So now it makes no sense whatsoever to my brain. Yes. And it it really makes people appreciate the artisticness of depth of field in photography and stuff. That's right? true. If, even if you go beyond, you know, it's like, wow, that's really cool. That's different. Yeah, because you're not seeing it on TV anymore. Yeah, but I could I could see it in a photograph, but because that can really add a certain amount of depth, but that live action just doesn't work for me. I, I don't like it. What amazed me was uh, when I first saw 4K uh, with a wheat field. Ooh. And every single piece of the wheat you could see blowing in the wind, no blur. It's like this is this is just not right. Right? <laughs> yeah. Like if you were to go out into that wheat field and stand on the edge of it, you would not right. see it that way with with your own eyes. You would not see that kind of detail. I don't care if you got twenty twenty. Right. Yeah. yeah exactly. Right. Now. Uh, I wanted to ask you uh, about your Sedona tours a little bit because, I mean, well, first let me ask you this. Like, you do so many things. You've got uh, Terranomaly, you've got your your one-man show, you've got all this stuff that you do, and you're doing these tours. How do you balance your time so that you're giving 
a, a good amount of attention to each of the things that you do? Or is the one man show kind of like it's, it's, it's done. I don't need to work on it. I just go out and perform it. Um, the one man, the, the one show right now is, um, it's fixed. I'm, I just grown my beard to, uh, do a whole nother 50 songs because the drummer, the drummer has the beard. Oh, uh, so I've got my beard growing right now. You can't see it on your, on your radio, but yeah, it is. Uh, and then, then I do the drummers, I uh, 50 songs. Then I shave, uh, the sideburns off. And then I have the bass player with his with hair down and he, and he plays 50, 50 songs. And then I shave more of it down. So it's more like a goatee kind of thing. And that's when the utility player plays and, and he, and, and he plays his song, you know, his parts of the songs. And I, and I put it all, so there's a process to add more songs. That's another take, uh, you know, kind of a downturn. I can't do requests that aren't on my list. And, uh, and it takes a while to add more songs, but I'm going to have a hundred songs here shortly. So that's sure. going to be pretty cool. Yeah. Uh, but, but so that, that's, um, uh, the amount of, so that's all the time that I really have to, it's like chunks, really, Scott. It's, it's, I, I choose what project I'm on at the moment and I dump most of my time on that. Now, you also know I'm doing, I do websites for people. I do, uh, you know, video editing and a photo analysis and video analysis for people. Um, as seen on BBC television, uh, you know, so it's like there's, there's different tasks that I do at different times. And my goal about all this is to help as many people as I possibly can. Uh, I don't, I don't make, uh, big amounts of money. I, I don't own anything, uh, because I found in, in the corporate United States, you really don't anyway. So right. I, I, I try to put myself down to, you know, uh, kind of like, uh, you know, what the Jesus theory would be, you know, just minimal, uh, amount of stuff for me and try and do as much for everybody else as I possibly can. So I, I take, uh, whatever task is, is immediately on my plate to help the person that needs it the most. And I do that. That's pretty awesome. So, uh, that. as a, for instance, uh, when we're done on the phone today, I got to go over to a friend's house and put a table together for him. Uh, and, and then, and then go over and make an appearance at a, at a party that would, uh, be going on during the football game, but I don't, you know, like, uh, satanic rituals on television, so I, I don't watch those games. Um, and, uh, uh, so, I, but meanwhile, I gotta help people. Boom, boom, pop out, help people, boom, boom. And, uh, always let people know that I'm available to, to help, to help whatever they want. And, and part of what makes me able to help so many people in so many ways is, is I've never, I've never focused on doing just one thing. If there's if there's something, especially if there's something new, I want to know about it. Like you don't know this, um, I 3D designed and imprinting uh, uh, a magnetic motor. Right. You know, yeah. just uh, there's no fuel, and so you know that that takes some part of my time because I have you know people who have bought me parts to make that happen. So I I got to make sure that they're satisfied that the fact that part that they bought parts is getting assembled in the substance so they can see the progress. And they're not paying me. Um, they're they're not. Uh, you know, getting any, any, uh, permit, special permission to use any motors. I'm going to give them away to the public. I'm not going to sell them anyway. Right. But that's all, you know, that, that's another piece of something that I do. And, and, and what I do, uh, with the tour, the great thing with the UFO tour that I'm doing here in Sedona, by the way, there is a website, a Sedona UFO tour guide, Sedona UFO tour guide.com. Um, uh, that takes, uh, two hours out of my day. So, for me to, to take people out, uh, set them up with the third generation night vision, show them, uh, um, half of the secret space program out of this flying around and other ships that aren't there that are out there 
and and I get to talk to them during that hour about things that they need to know, things that, you know, in my encounter with ET, yes, I did actually, uh, uh, for you listeners out there, I did actually have an encounter in 2001 with three that extraterrestrials. You know, they, they, they downloaded some information that I'm supposed to share with humanity, and that's part of why I write the music that I do. But it's, it's also about meeting the people and planting seeds and having them go out there and research it, know it, and start spreading the word. Exactly. And I think it's, it's, it's just such a diverse life that you have. And I think that's part of what probably makes it so exciting is that you're not just doing one thing all the time. You, you, but the other thing too, that, and I've known you for years, you really get to know somebody when you help them move. And we, you and I have spent a lot of time moving <laughs> each other. Uh, but, but uh, you know, it's genuine. You're not trying to gain something by helping people. It's just a part of who you are. And right. yes, you do gain by helping other people because it makes you feel good. You know, you're helping other people, but you just do it out of the pure, genuine nature of who you are as a person. And I really wish that we could grasp on as a society to that instead of, you know, it, it being this me thing all the time. Just, you know, what can I do to help you? And that's a question I ask people a lot. And a lot of times people don't know how to answer it because no one ever asks. Well, and, and but the people, well, yeah. I mean, aren't most people harder on themselves than they are on others? Oh, yeah. I mean, people with conscience, they're, they're like beating themselves up and that kind of thing. So so other people are beating themselves up, too. So when you know that, and you know that we're all one, but we're all apart for this temporary you know, data-gathering experiment called life, you, you um, can help other people help the planet and humanity by bringing a smile to them or raising their frequency, raising their spirits. You know, we talk about you know raising your spirits. Uh, not necessarily talking about a glass of wine here. Uh, when you when you become more joyful, you raise your frequency. You raise a bubble around you of energy. So when you share that, and other people are sharing that, we can raise our frequencies such that all these really bad bad people. Who are doing terrible things, called you know, human trafficking and all that kind of stuff? They would just disappear from Earth. Right. They would if we could vibrate high enough, they would disappear from Earth. So I think that that is possible, but it's really um, uh, kind of uh, Buddhist in its in its roots. Um, for those of us in today's world and real, you know, uh, commercial capitalism, radio frequency environment you know, metals in and fluoride in our water. And all. I mean, what we can do is we can get a smile every day. Right. And then we can help other people get a smile every day. And I'm telling you, if you can help two people get a smile every day and they learn to do the same thing, then it's only a matter of time for everybody to smile. Well, that's true because they'll, when you lift someone's attitude and their feelings, they take that to the next person they interact with. And then that person takes, I mean, it really is a ripple effect. I've, I've experimented with that with people, uh, when I've been in like the retail world, just, just as a consumer. And I've seen some amazing results. I would stand, uh, and watch a clerk run a couple of sales and they're like, you know, Hey, how you doing? Have a great day. And, and you can tell that, you know, it's just a line they're saying. And wrote, I, yeah. yeah, and then I get up there and I genuinely have an interest in them. How are you doing today? You know, this has got to be hard standing on your feet, just dealing with 100,000 people coming through your store a day. Right. How are you doing? And, and they, they, they change. You can see it physically. Yep. You can feel it. And then I'll slowly walk away and hear how they greet the next customer. 
and it's completely different than the one that they greeted right? before me. It is so easy to raise somebody's feelings. It yeah. really is. And we, we can be ornery and lift our middle finger, or we can be awesome and lift both hands to help. Right. And and you can and you can choose who you allow into your world based on that alone. And if you do, you will find your health improving. You will find your um, uh, energy improving. You'll find you want to stay up and do more stuff and be awake longer. It's amazing. Yeah, it really is. Uh, you know, I could I have so many things I could talk to you about, but I, I want to wrap this up for today. And I know you're going to come back. But uh, I cool. do have one more question that I want to ask you uh, in, in relation to what you mentioned earlier about doing uh, analysis. So you have been uh, obviously you're you're involved in the the UFO community and you do the tours and you see plenty of things out there. When when people send me videos, hey, check this out. I want to get your opinion on it, and it's a UFO video that they found on YouTube or Vimeo or wherever. Um, obviously if it's, if it's made with IUFO and it has the logo and it's clearly overlaid over, you know, it's really easy to tell it's a fake, but what, what would you say for people that are looking at these videos and they're so real now because you can create this at home so easily? How, what are some key things that you can use to, to identify a fake? Well, there's the, uh, I, I look at the overall thing first. Overall, I look at the whole thing, every pixel, simultaneously, um, and, and then I get a feeling, okay? Then I use that feeling to make me look for specific things that make me think that that's the case. Now, uh, a lot of times what people do is they use a real video background, and they superimpose with an overlay and maybe a feather effect on the object that they're superimposing. And for a lot of people, that would work. But for me, I know what edges of weird things in the sky look like. I took lots of photos of UFOs, you know, in Phoenix when I was down there. At daytime, I got daytime photos on my website. I mean, you can, you can uh, you know, see that when you zoom in on those, there is an edge, but it's a particular type of edge. And when you have things that are superimposed, that edge doesn't usually work even on an individual frame, let alone a set of frames. And a set of frames, that edging in motion, is the tell-all. That's how you find, uh, think of it as a DYUV, a delta YUV from frame to frame of given pixel and things. Real things react certain ways. And, and, I, and I can't even really be more specific than that. Yeah. Uh, but you take a real one, zoom in on it, look at it three or four frames forward or backwards from any given point. Look at how the edge, it's like a light around the object because it'll work that way when it's, when it's a high reflective contrast against the standard sky. So you'll get these edges and they'll kind of dance in a particular way when it's real. And when it's fake, they don't dance that way. Yeah, that's an excellent point. Yeah, it's really hard. Now, the other thing that, that you can do to make it look good is to 3D generate the entire scene. So you got houses and trees and everything else. Now, that can be done very convincingly um, because uh, it doesn't take a, a $100,000 solar graphics onyx to do that, that kind of rendering these days. Right. So you can grab yourself a really nice, uh, um, 
you know, 64-bit setup even and, and generate really realistic framing and even have camera movement and everything. But that's why I look at the whole thing first because somehow, just like the wheat field in 4K, you know, I can look at something and tell that that's supposed to look like that or that just does not supposed to look like that. Right. And then there's the, the other side of it, which is the does this make sense factor. And I look oh, at, right. you know, okay. Then if, there's audio. Is yeah. there anybody going, oh, wow, look at that. Or is that believable? Does it sound like a real delivery? Or is it weird music that's underneath it? If yeah. weird music's underneath it, I automatically go, okay, that's an interesting animation. <laughs> right, yeah. Well, then there's the, you know, like the, the military battling UFO videos. And the, my first thought is, okay, if, if this really was an operation in some remote desert uh, area of the world, which they always are, uh, I, I could understand maybe not hearing about it, but looking at this video going, okay, there's only like five troops in this whole platoon that's battling this UFO. There's no way that anyone would have let this video out because they would have known it was one of these five guys that did it. And if you want to know what, if you want to know what military battling UFOs look like, go to the Battle of LA. I was just going to say that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's what really happened. You know, they shoot a thousand rounds and it, and it, and it you know, blows off a very small piece of a corner. Uh, you know, and that's it. Yeah. So they, they said they brought down ships. They did not bring down any ships. They actually fragmented a corner of the metal of one. So they got a piece of that to find out what the ship was made of. But that, that whole thing, I mean, they, they unloaded on, on that Battle of LA. And, yeah. You know, nowadays we actually have ships and, and weapons that will take them down. Sure. But back then, I mean, that wasn't just 2,000 rounds. That was 2,000 heavy caliber rounds. <laughs> you know, that wasn't like a machine gun. That was a like a cannon that they were shooting at that the, those things. And uh, nothing. Just just a tiny and scratch. Nothing, you and know? no one slept through that. I don't no. care who you are. No one slept through that. Well, there's so many witnesses to that event, whereas these other things I'm seeing, it's like, if this event really took place, how come we? How come this didn't get in the mainstream media? How come we didn't hear about it? How come you know there wasn't some other leak of it other than one person that found this and put it on YouTube? It 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 just it has to make sense. I'll lay one better on you. If you want to know if it's legit. If you didn't see it on Secure Team 10, it's not legit. Oh, there you go. I mean, I got uh, on, on my website, on my, you know, SedonaUFOTourGuide.com, on that website, I've got a page called Resources. And on that page, there's a lot of really good links to good data. So if you want to know how to get real news, which you're not going to get on the networks at all, period, none, zero, then, you know, I gave you some sources on that page that you can go uh, find out. Jordan Sather is 27 years old. He is phenomenally uh, educated. Amazing guy talking about stuff. Um, so, yeah, if you, if you want to, you know, find out some more about 9-11, uh, Mars Colony, uh, you know, uh, whatever. You want, there's a whole list of resources on there. You can go find out about books and authors and PhDs and people that talk about the same kind of stuff I do, like, some people need to have letters after the name to be to be believable. So, right. There you go. And that's all going to be. All those links are going to appear in the show notes, of course. But you know, another another thing that I use to, or a question that I ask myself on a lot of these videos is, why were you filming? It's not like you saw something and then turn your camera on. You're just randomly right. filming and happened to catch something and. 
you know, it's like I and I take pictures and I see things from time to time when I'm doing my uh, my cloud photos that I will see something and go, oh, that's interesting, and I'll send it over to you and get your thoughts on it. But right. when you're do- when you're doing a video and you're zooming in on places, and then you're like, oh my god, what is that? Like, why were you zooming in on those places? You know, there has right. to be a logical reason for the video setting right. in the first place. Right. I got a feeling after I shot this, the hair stood up on my neck. And I looked at it when I got home. Okay, well, that's, that's at least a story. Yeah. You know, I, I mean, you know, whatever. A friend of mine who was out there said there was a UFO. I took pictures all day. I didn't see it. So so I looked closer. I mean, if there's a story, at least it can, can become believable. Uh, right. But just, oh, la, la, la. And just, oh, look, there's a UFO. Zoom in. And that's like, you know, yeah. Yeah. And and it's a shame because I would love it if more of these videos were real because it would it would just change the face of of the way that we view things on a more global scale. But the fact of the matter is, the majority of the things that you see out there are are easily created in a home studio. Uh that that famous uh, audio clip that where they supposedly dropped that mic in Siberia down into the ground and it was supposedly the sounds of hell. That was so brilliantly done. But I could do that in 20 minutes in my recording studio. I'm not yeah. saying that some of these things aren't real right? because some of them are. But I'm saying that, that it's more – it's better to approach it from, from a cautionary standpoint and an intellectual yeah. standpoint because it is, it is so easy to make at home. Well, remember that one of the main goals of Deep State is to give you disinformation so that you're at least confused. Well, yeah, and that's not hard to do these days. <laughs> well, Michael, thank you so much for coming on the show. Uh, you're you're just such a joy to talk to, and we always have these amazing conversations that could go on for hours. But I don't have any pie here right now to <laughs> to, to share with you as we usually do. But come back and see us. And and in the meantime, well, you know, people check out the videos. Everything from Terra Anomaly is available on YouTube. I'm really excited that there's more stuff coming. Uh, in, in Element 115, go to this. Go to Sedona. It's just a wonderful place to visit. Take one of these tours. It's a couple hours out of your life, and you'll see things that just may change your view of the world. Scott is awesome. Thank you for inviting me. It's always great to talk to you. And like I said, to talk to you while people are listening, what could be better? Wait, people are listening? I hope. I hope so, too. <laughs> <laughs> Take care, Michael. Come see us again. Bye-bye now. Bye-bye. Yeah, I'm definitely going to have to have Michael come back because there's so many things that we could talk about. And this is why I could spend an eight hour or a 10 hour day with this guy. And and it's just nonstop uh, ideas and talking conversation from uh, the moment we start until the end. And through that conversation, coffee and pie will probably be devoured at some point. Uh, I love the coffee that he and his wife, Carla, make. It's, it's I don't know what they do to it. They won't tell me, but it's amazing. Um, so there's our 30th episode. Thank you so much for tuning in. I hope that you will come back for episode 31 next week, where I will have another wonderful guest telling us about the great things that they do. And uh, if you have any questions, if you have any feedback, want to come on the show, write me at scott at scotthaskin.com. And uh, you can link to me and my page and all that good stuff. So take care. Have a great week. Go out and do something that you want to do. Make it happen, people. See you soon. <laughs>